Hello, everyone. This is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now, this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another exciting podcast. My name is Lieutenant John McGee. I work for Albuquerque Fire Rescue, and I'm sitting in today for Captain Adam West. Uh, special guest today, we have uh, Battalion Commander Chris Ortiz. He'll be joining us, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, EMS QA and what all that means. So welcome, Chief. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So i got to jump right in. I, you know, this is, I've been around AFR for quite some time, and I know that, you know, we have large call volumes. We've talked about that quite a lot. And we talk a lot about the developments we've made over the past couple decades. I know that we're one of the premier EMS agencies. We go to national conferences. When you're out and about and you talk to your counterparts, where do you see us nationally in, in terms of response, training, all of that? Oh, that's a great question. So being in this position as the EMS chief for the last year and a half, I initially started going to the conferences that you spoke of and was always under the assumption that we were advanced, but I didn't know how advanced we were. I think until I had the opportunity to listen in to other agencies and organizations and find out what they were doing on the EMS front is when I started to really realize that we were kind of cutting edge, kind of tip of the spear when it came to a lot of the advances we had made within our organization and just within our EMS system within the city. Interesting. And I think a lot of people may not expect that from Albuquerque because that may not be something that we're known for nationally. But can you tell me about some of these new initiatives and programs and tools that we have? Absolutely. So during uh, the last conference that we went to, which was the Gathering of Eagles that was in Dallas, Texas, uh, every year, uh, our medical director, Dr. Kim Pruitt, spoke about our use of the pre-hospital ultrasound for cardiac arrest. So about three years ago, AFR applied for a special skill through the State of New Mexico EMS Bureau mm-hmm. uh, to provide pre-hospital ultrasound looking for cardiac standstill. Uh, that special skill actually sat dormant for the past three years. Uh, then once we realized we had an opportunity to capitalize on that, uh, we worked with uh, Philips and their Lumify device and UNMH and Dr. Um, Jenna White to bring that special skill to the forefront. So for the past year, roughly our uh, seven eights or our EMS quality assurance officers have done pre-hospital ultrasound on all cardiac arrests looking strictly for cardiac standstill, cardiac activity, which helps dictate what our treatments are going to be for that patient. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Uh, Then I know like now we've incorporated, well, we have pit crew probably almost a decade now. And then I know we've incorporated the Lucas device. So how do we stand nationally? Do other systems have a Lucas device on every frontline apparatus or rescue? Is that something unique to us? So it's relatively unique. So the Lucas device or any form of mechanical CPR device, um, although they are becoming more prevalent within EMS across the country, there is definitely very few organizations of our size that have them on every frontline ambulance or every frontline rescue. So that's where we do have the benefit thanks to our city council and our city administration who within the last year helped us purchase those. Uh, Those are on every single frontline apparatus. Interesting, and then of course, Probably the most exciting would be ECMO. I know you, we probably don't have a lot of time to get into it, but where are we nationally in terms of uh, ECMO? So we are the first, actually, in the continent. Oh, the continent. first in North America to perform a pre-hospital ECMO procedure that happened just last week. We started the planning process about nine months ago and had our first successful candidate 
um, and first successful procedure that occurred last week. So that puts us uh, as the first in the continent to actually make that happen. Extremely interesting. So we talked about some of those changes, all right, in the last year, but in, in terms of just the EMS division specifically, what's new this year? So aside from the things that we talked about already, we've uh, incorporated a bigger focus on quality assurance, and that's the overall point of the podcast today, is to talk about some of those quality assurance measures. Some of those have been adding additional personnel to our records management division who handles all of our documentation, uh, utilizing them to perform more quality assurance on the record, I'm sorry, on the reports that we're writing to ensure that our clinical care and our documentation of that clinical care is up to par. Gotcha. Go ahead, I'm listening. No, absolutely. So uh, the heart team, uh, that's our home engagement alternative response team. Uh, our version of community EMS was implemented within the last year, last fiscal year. Um, we've been lucky enough for the city and the department to provide us with funded paramedic positions to be able to try to address the call volume in a more proactive fashion. So rather than trying to reduce call volume by adding more trucks, we're actually sending the right resource to these individuals who are the highest utilizers to try to help find either the social or medical needs that they need to reduce their reliance on 911. That's very interesting point that you bring up. So when you say our version, I guess there are many different um, approaches we could take to community medicine, but we've decided the most helpful or proactive would be to, I love what you said, it's not more units, it's really asking the right question to get the right answer. Is that pretty sure. accurate? Absolutely, just like any uh, EMS or fire-based organization, it's difficult to always just add more people and more resources to throw at an increasing call volume. So what this team, for the first time in the history of AFR, has given us the opportunity or the ability to try to do things, like I said, in a more proactive fashion. So what they're doing is they're going into homes, talking with individuals who are utilizing the 911 system uh, at an increased level. For instance, they've had one individual that they're working with who had used not the 911 system and been transported to the emergency room over 300 times in a year. They were able to get that individual the assistance that they needed to be able to wean them off, so to speak, of the 911 system and no longer have used uh, the emergency room to achieve their care. Really? So great successes. <coughs> well, numbers don't lie. Um, okay, and then moving on. So working on guidelines, um, updates right now, what are we looking at in sure. terms of... So what we'd like to do is uh, we're always to stay cutting edge, kind of what we've talked about already. We want to ensure that we're keeping our guidelines up to date with the latest medicine. And although from an administrative standpoint, we have the ability to see this as a global view, what we're really asking for is getting input from the frontline providers who do the job every day. So what we're asking is as we implement changes to guidelines, that we have them reach out through their chain of command, contacting especially their quality assurance or EMS supervisors, let them know about things that they're seeing in the field, trends, and just- Are you getting that feedback? Absolutely, so we have a great uh, communication, um, like great fluid communication between our division and our quality assurance officers, which is basically our pulse on the field. So although um, you know we focus a lot on meetings and policy sure. and emails and an administrative capacity, we haven't lost sight of what our frontline providers are doing, what they need. We just need to ensure that they have a voice and continue to bring any concerns, issues, or successes to us as we move forward. That's great news to hear. <clears throat> I know that in times past, people looked at the QA process as uh, punitive. Almost, you know, if you're getting a letter or an email from the QA's office, oh no, I'm in trouble. How would you address that, people's perception of 
QA process. That's a great point, and that's something that since we've taken over, when I say we, I say Deputy Chief Jaramillo and myself into these positions as EMS leadership, was to kind of change the stigma, if you will, of what quality assurance is. I think historically, a lot of frontline providers wouldn't get any feedback on their performance, yep. good, bad, or otherwise, until there was a problem. So what we wanted to focus on was not only correcting those issues from a teaching standpoint and not utilizing the um, corrective action or any disciplinary process, and but also recognizing with individuals with kudos when they do a great job and let them know that their medicine is sound. Um, I think those are both important to kind of build that trust sure. so people aren't afraid of the process. Yeah, and I think it opens the door to communication. I think I received one or two of those when I did something right once. And um, it was good to get that feedback to say, Absolutely. hey, great job, continue doing what you're doing. Uh, but moving on, so any new equipment, because we always want to get the new tools, and I know that we're always testing and working with different vendors. What do we have coming down the line now in terms of new equipment? Sure. So in the last year, we talked about the Lucas device. We talked about the um, Philip Lumify uh, ultrasound. We've just transitioned over to the GEV scan ultrasound, and that's what the 7-8 and the 7-8 cadre are using now for cardiac pre-hospital uh, pre cardiac arrest and standstill. Uh, we also have just purchased a new uh, uh, ventilator. So this ventilator will be assigned to the quality assurance officer, will go to every cardiac arrest, uh, and can be placed on those patients to free up hands from not only the compressions with the Lucas device, but also offer more consistency in the bagging or ventilation of the patient. So better perfusion all the way around. Absolutely. Wow. We're focusing not only on good quality compressions, good end tidal, but also that cerebral perfusion that sometimes we lose when we aggressively bag um, on, on a scene. And is the overall objective, I know we can get ROSC, but is the overall objective to have more, I guess, positive outcomes walking out of the hospital? Is that what that addresses? Absolutely. I think ultimately that should be the goal of any EMS organization. I think a lot of times you'll see with different organizations and different stats is that there's a big focus on ROSC data, mm -hmm. saying, hey, we got pulses back or, hey, we got, you know, ROSC. I think what really you need to focus on is quality ROS. Neurological right? outcomes. Neurological outcomes. Okay. Folks walking out of the hospital with CPC scores of one or two, having a full life, being able to return back to their capabilities prior to the event, in my opinion, is more substantial and more beneficial than just having high returns of pulses. That's pretty amazing. And this isn't on my list, but I have to ask you. So to me, that's exciting. And I don't know if, if, if our community at large, if they even know that we are, uh, we have these initiatives and these programs going. Like that's huge for people who have parents with heart disease or who are susceptible. That makes all the difference in the world. Do we have anything planned to, I guess, kind of announce to the community, hey, we have these resources for you? I think we have. I think working alongside your division and Captain Perea's division of the training, I think that's going to be a big component of assisting with a lot of that information, getting that information out to the public. I think one of the big pushes that uh, Chief Jaramillo and I have talked about is having more of a face on the social media platforms that AFR has. I know it's always exciting to see fires and those sorts of things, but I think it is good for us to be able to get information out there from an EMS standpoint. Sure. Uh, because I think for too long we've been the silent service and you go to a medical call and people just wonder why there's so many trucks in why the, the Why is the fire department here? There's right. a heart attack. Absolutely. So I think it's important for us to spread that message. And I think social media is probably the easiest platform in this day and age. Sure. So that's a big focus for us. Glad to hear that. Okay, and then moving on, um, I know we have new CPAP. Um, and I love that because now there's one line, right, to the O2, it's a lot more efficient. We can uh, nebulize at the same time. 
Tell me a little bit about that. Is that something that we're experimenting with, or is that what we're using now? No, I think uh, I think initially the, when we first got our, and you'll remember back uh, to when we had a larger CPAP device that had its own you know, box. It was a bulky piece of equipment, sure. and we've streamlined now to where we had the device previously, but the downside, it did require two lines. There was, it wasn't as user-friendly. So the new CPAP device that uh, is available on Target Solutions to be able to retrain on, and it should be available for everyone to order now, okay. offers just one line, so you're using one bottle, and a lot more user-friendly, a lot more comfortable for the patient. So we're hoping to see better outcomes and a higher use of that device because it's easier to use. Love it, yeah, we don't want to uh, restrict that from patients. And then pediatric pulse ox, that's a new one for us. That's a big one. It had been. So our initial purchase of the uh, LifePak devices years back when we got the LifePaks uh, was a lot of those pediatric pulse oxes were included. Um, after those, that supply ran out, just based on cost, uh, we never replenished those. So when we took over this division, we thought that, hey, I know cost is obviously has to be at the forefront of, um, from a budgetary standpoint, but from a patient care standpoint. If there's equipment that we are able to provide to our frontline providers to do better work out in the field, then we're going to provide that. Are those and deployed now? They are, yeah. Okay. So those are available now through EMS orders through the pharmacy. And uh, if, you, if you need them on your truck, they're absolutely great to have because those, are, as we all know, the pediatric calls obviously are the calls that give us a little more anxiety, sure. a little more amped up. So the more tools we have to be able to treat those kids, the better. More confident we feel as well. Sure. I hear that. And then of course, another big one are the power gurneys. Power gurneys. So this is something that historically AFR had limited transports over the years. I think increasingly um, more and more we're transporting patients to the hospital. And I think it's important to have equipment that's not only safe for the patients, but also safe for our providers okay. and for their backs. Um, the other flip side of that is that the technology has, the cost for that technology has decreased. So uh, working along with uh, Battalion Chief Nate Meisner on his rescue, on the ambulances that he purchases, uh, we're looking at with every new purchase just budgeting for having those power gurneys. So, so those, will, those will be phased in as the older phased units? In. Right, right, oh, as, wow. we transport, okay. as we transport more. We started with the BLS trucks because those BLS trucks are going to be transporting all of their contacts. Um, so we started with them to help save their backs, and that I think sense. as we slowly progress, we'll be able to get them on all of our frontline units over the next few years. That all sounds exciting, Chief, and I appreciate that. So as far as the QA process itself, um, what do you look for in the process? We're going to QA a call. You know, as a frontline provider, what are you looking for, and what type of information should I be providing? So just to remind everyone, we have, we have two mechanisms to report situations. Um, we have the quality assurance tab, which you find under the EMS tab on SharePoint. Quality assurance on the EMS tab should always be used when there was uh, any type of patient care issue. So there's Can you give me an example? Sure. So let's say that we had a patient that we meant to give one milligram of uh, epinephrine, and we inadvertently gave two, right? Even though there might not have been a negative outcome for that patient, it still was a medication error, which could have affected patient care so that in itself is going to be a quality assurance entry. We'll assign one of those quality assurance officers to do the fact finding on it, find out exactly what happened, what caused the error, was there an error at all, or was it just a documentation of that um, that occurred first? And then take that information and focus on the re-education plan for that individual, whether it be an isolated event and we learn from it, 
whether it be involving a performance improvement plan and say, hey, we're gonna work, work on the next 30 days for your medication dosages and your formulary, that's the plan with the quality assurance. And that should be initiated from the provider? From the provider themselves, yes, self-reporting. Okay. We wanna make sure that folks are self-reporting these. All med medication administrations are gonna be reviewed through RMS, but we wanted these folks to, to feel comfortable with saying, hey, I had an error, I made a mistake, there was this sort of outcome, and they report that. So and that's the, strictly what the quality assurance is for. And that would be considered an action item? Correct. As opposed, you know, <clears throat> back in the day, we used to think QA was just for, you and I were on a call together, we got into a little tiff, and then I said, oh, I'm gonna QA this call. Sure. And then I write a big old complaint letter. Is that part of it? It's not. Um, so, and I guess I shouldn't say it's not. It has the potential. if. That interaction, the negative interaction between two providers, whether it be in our agency or with another agency, that affected patient care, then it starts to, to toe into being a QA issue. But what I like to call a sandbox issue, meaning like folks just can't get can't along play, in the sandbox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like the way John looked at me on that call. Mm -hmm. I don't like the way he, he talked to me, me on the yeah. call. He yelled at me, looked at me funny. Those are more of a human resources complaint or component. And we ask folks to use the human resources tab and issue that complaint or a concern. Now, a lot of times when it's an interagency with Albuquerque Ambulance on a medical call, maybe it doesn't rise to the level of an HR complaint per se, but what we want folks to do is report that uh, interaction to their quality assurance officer. Quality assurance officer will then work with their counterpart from Albuquerque Ambulance and try to resolve it at the lowest level. But we, so they should not use a QA tab for what I'm going to call the sandbox issues, we'll keep that off of the QA. If there what if no it involves patient care? Patient. Like, uh, I, didn't, I didn't agree with his Absolutely. John intervention. Looks, John looks at me funny, and I get so upset that I just walk out, and I leave the cardiac arrest patient there on the floor, and I say, you know what? You deal with it. Right. I'm done. That has the implications to affect the patient, so that definitely okay. would be a quality assurance. And like I said, there's probably, it, we can, you can split it up, right? So we can have an HR fact-finding along with the QA, but what I just want to ensure is that providers know that just because Albuquerque Ambulance didn't bring their bags or we didn't bring our bags or they looked at me funny, those are issues that can typically be resolved on scene at the lowest level, okay. but when it affects the patient, that's when we need to know about it through the quality assurance measures. Glad to hear that. And then maybe those guys just put a call in to their QA right there on scene. Absolutely. Need you to come out. Okay. Captain uh, Anderson, <coughs> Ferrando, and LaPrice are probably some of the most Excellent. solid individuals that uh, can can resolve a lot of those. Okay. Um, so, and then I'm going to change these around a little bit, but I did want you to kind of address the field providers and just kind of communicate, you know, some things directly to our field providers. So the thing I want to, uh, to get out to our field providers is that everybody is doing an absolutely outstanding job. And we are making every effort to let you know how well you are doing. If you've noticed now, when you do some of your documentation on ImageTrend, you'll see a lot of the bar graphs that kind of show some of the QA metrics, whether it be we're doing 12 leads on all of our chest pain calls in the right amount of time, we're giving aspirin on all of our chest pain calls, we're initiating transport on our potential stroke patients. Those numbers that you see on those charts show you how well we're doing and we want to broadcast that. So okay. that's the one thing I do want to stress is the fact that, you know, um, if you get a call from the EMS chief or you get a call from the EMS QA officers, that is not necessarily a bad thing because we see how well people are doing, how hard people are working, and we truly appreciate it. And that's how we've gotten to where we are today as an EMS organization. And then overall, is it, I mean, yes, it's important from a patient care standpoint, but I know that 
like you said, we have budgetary concerns. There's, it takes a lot to make this all happen. What are some things in terms of what you just mentioned that we could do even more or better um, to have greater success? I think it really comes down to documentation. Okay. Our guys do, and ladies, do great work on the call. Um, what we want to do is be able to capture that. And we don't know how well you did unless you document everything. So using those drop downs, using your power tools and image trend elite, writing a good D chart that paints the picture of specifically what you did and what happened with that patient and what the outcomes were are the best way for us to be able to glean data because we don't want to have a lot of anecdotal stories about how well we're doing. We want hard and fast numbers that say, hey, this is how great you're doing. And that's what our big focus is from a quality assurance standpoint. Does that help to secure all the new equipment and, and initiatives that we talked about earlier? Is, is that a direct correlation? Absolutely. You have a great product that you're offering. Um, you're doing a great service for the community. The community is going to be able to see that, recognize that, and they're willing to go to bat for you when it comes to budget time, when it comes to funding for new equipment, new apparatus. That's what you need is everything is built off of quality assurance. And if we're providing a good product, we're going to get a good return. So the frontline yeah. pr provider can influence that. Absolutely. Individually. I love to hear that. Absolutely. And um, then we talked a little bit about, <clears throat> I know med cross checks. I know the medical, the uh, medical director really wants us doing those med cross checks to reduce uh, those medication errors, law enforcement tab. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about that. We talked about it in a recent podcast with DC Jaramillo, but yeah, using that law enforcement tab help us track organizationally how we're being requested to these calls, whether it be specifically from through 911 dispatch through a frontline caller, or whether that be from law enforcement. That just helps us kind of figure out operationally how to respond better to behavioral health emergencies and the other way. So otherwise. it's not just a validity tab punch it so you can close out the report. No, we it's really, important. again, that, you know, I'm going to say a garbage in, garbage out. We're only going to get the good data if uh, it's being entered appropriately. Okay. So, yeah, use those tabs uh, accordingly, and we'll be able to, to help the frontline providers reduce different responses. Got it. And then, we, of course, we have the ECMO tab, uh, but I know that's added already. ECMO tab is on there. It's added. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. So, metrics. Um, <laughs> this is something, right? It's not... Uh, absolutely what everybody wants to hear but i think it's important to talk about what metrics are we looking at for our system like sure. you talked about aspirin with chest pain right we want to get those ekgs within so we want to get ekgs on chest pain patients within five minutes get okay. those 12 leads we're saying no more four leads no more quick six they're for some not of the diagnostic old school guys are not diagnostic it'll tell you a rate and that's about it okay 12 leads on all those chest pain patients within five minutes okay those same pet chest pain patients should have 100 percent administration of aspirin all the time if they did it pre-arrival, based on instructions from the alarm room, sure. document that. Okay. Um, getting off scene with under 10 minutes for a patient with a positive Cincinnati or a positive and a positive LAMS scale. Okay, so LAMS or positive Cincinnati, 10 minutes on scene. 10 minutes transport. on scene. Let's get that patient to definitive. And that's care. any two criteria, is that right? Yeah. So if they're a positive Cincinnati, then you're going to go on to your LAMS. If they're a four or five, they're going to go to a specific destination. But a positive Cincinnati got to, got, to, got to get you thinking about this could be a stroke potentially, okay. and we need to get off scene. Gotcha. 10 minutes. Okay. And then we're going to kind of move on here. Um, next year, coming up, what are some things that you're focused on? So I think we want to focus a little bit more on those calls that give us the most anxiety, the pediatric calls. I think historically those have always been the most difficult for us. So we want to look at new training tools, uh, doc 
Dr. Pruitt and I will be at EMS World Expo uh, in the next couple of weeks along with uh, Captain Perea. And I think one of the focus that I have is looking at what products and training is out there based on pediatrics that we can help over the next year so our providers feel more comfortable when they're walking in that call at 2 a.m. I would agree with that 100%. And then um, I know we talked about early activation alerts, our STEMI stroke, ECMO trauma. Is that something that we need to? Absolutely. The 7-8s are pushing that. So early activation of cath labs when you have a, a st uh, potential STEMI, early activation of the stroke centers when you have that positive Cincinnati, Cincinnati or positive LAMS, and then the ECMO criteria. And we will want to stress is that this is not necessarily the report when you're on your way to the hospital. Sure. Anybody on scene can pick up their radio on the 800, let Albuquerque Base know that, we hey, we have a potential alert for any one of these, and they can get the process rolling, and it saves those patients an extra 10 to 15 minutes to get the right resources to I them at the hospital. love that idea. And then we talked about uh, preventing hypoxia and trauma and head injuries, and I think that's going to be an ongoing kind of uh, teaching or training that we do? Absolutely. Okay. It's a lot of new stuff that we've thrown at everybody over the last year and a half, and we realize that. But uh, step by step, going back to basics, I think it's going to be um, the biggest, the highest yield for our organization. And then how does Lifesaver training um, fit into all of that? Because I know that the quicker we're on the chest, the better the outcome. So is Lifesaver training going to help? Absolutely. It's been instrumental. We've got nothing but great feedback about Captain Prey and all of her staff and what they're doing with city employees um, and the public as far as educating them on hands-only CPR. There's only 700 uniformed personnel in the Albuquerque Fire Rescue, so the more individuals that we can cross-pollinate that training and get uh, that early stopping the bleed, early CPR, is only going to help our cause and better our outcomes. Love it. And as we close out, just a couple other things I'd like to ask you. Um, customer satisfaction. How do we track that? Do we have the means now for the, the, the public at large to contact us and say, great job, or please work on this? We have limited means right now. I think through SharePoint or through the city website, you can do a, review, uh, a survey that gives you some kind of vague data on how you did when you went to that call. Uh, DC Jaramillo and I are working on different platforms um, through social media apps, whether it be through online resources to be able to provide better feedback to our mm -hmm. providers because I think that's what's key in knowing how well you're doing is getting real feedback uh, from your patients and also your coworkers. And then how would we utilize that data? Let's say we get these surveys. Do we make the changes or is it, is it, is it used for other purposes? Is that going to city council? I don't know. Does that help us with funding? I, I think overall, like, like, like I said, I think what, if we can recognize where our areas of opportunity are or where we're doing well, it's just going to make us perform that much better. <clears throat> So when we go in front of council, we go in front of, you know, city administration and we say we need these things, we have the quality assurance data and the information to back it up that here's why we need what we need and here's how well we're doing with what we have now. Excellent. I love it. All right, Chief, well, we're going to close out. Um, anything else you'd like to convey to the field provider? Because I know that's why we're here. Sure. Um, I know you said a lot and you were pointing out where we're doing well. Uh, anything else in general that you'd like to? I think in general what I like to say is an open door policy as far as communication, like your 7-8s, um, your assigned 7-8s are your point of contact for all things EMS. There is no silly question, so reach out to them. That information always gets back to me. Uh, my number is always available, so if you have questions, feel free to contact me and we can answer a lot of this and work through um, questions, concerns that anybody might have on about the EMS division. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, thank you, sir, for being here. And to everyone else, thank you guys for tuning in to this podcast. Hope it was informative for you. Uh, please continue to like the videos and comment, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.